Matthew chapter 7, and then if you want to turn in the Old Testament, uh, we'll be in 2 Samuel chapter 12 a little bit later on in the lesson. So Matthew 7, and then 2 Samuel chapter 12, all the other scriptures will be up on the PowerPoint. Uh, The last few weeks, I have done a little sermon series, really, at least for my own calculations, it's been on our mental health. You see, as a church, we have seven commitments, and for this year, we have three focus areas. Our focus areas are Christ in you, which is about spiritual formation, Christ in others, which is about disciple-making and outreach, and Christ in families. And this sermon series has really focused on the Christ in you part of our vision focus, really focusing on our mental health, what goes on in our minds, taking our thoughts captive and making them obedient to Christ, learning to love God with all of our minds. The last few weeks, we've looked at uh, the do not worry text from Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. Last week, we looked at negativity and switching off negative thinking, and I just want to kind of continue that conversation this morning. Uh, One of my favorite stories that I've read recently, it's actually an an old story, and there's several versions of it, but it's about a granddad traveling with his grandson. They're traveling from one town to another, and they have a donkey. And the donkey, uh, they just have one donkey, so they have two people, and this is what they have to travel with. So they start the journey off, and the grandson is riding on the donkey while the granddad is walking beside it, and people see them walking, and they criticize them, and they say, Look at that lazy young man making that old man walk. So they switch. And the old man rides the donkey, and the young man walks beside the donkey. And then other people see that, and they look at him, and they say, Look at that lazy old man making that poor young kid walk. So they both hop on the donkey, and they both start riding the donkey. And a little bit further on the trip, other people see it. And they say, look at that poor donkey, those two lazy people making that donkey do all the work. They're they're overloading the donkey with too much weight. So then they both get off the donkey and they walk beside the donkey and they continue to travel. And then other people look at that and they say, look at that, a waste of a donkey, a perfectly healthy donkey that they could be riding on. And then at the end of it, the granddad is carrying the donkey and the grandson is walking beside it. (laughs) I think the point of that story is that no matter what you do, No matter what we do, someone can always criticize it. As human beings, we have formed habits of having opinions on everything. As we go through life, we can't help but criticize people and criticize events, criticize school, criticize church, whatever it may be. We offer criticisms, and then we're going to be criticized. I think it's Aristotle who's attributed it saying this, that criticism is something that we can easily avoid by saying nothing, doing nothing, and being nothing. So if you want to avoid criticism, do nothing with your life. Otherwise, if you do something, if you take a risk, if you live, if you open your mouth, if you have an opinion on something, there's a good chance that you're going to be criticized. So this morning, my focus is on what the title of this lesson is, Discerning the Critical Voices which I think is really important to our mental health, maybe more than we realize, which is also important to our spiritual health. And that's why I want to talk about it this morning. I just want to share a few things with you that I'm learning, and I think there's a few layers to this. And this first layer that I'm learning is that we need to learn to discern our own critical voice that's in our minds. 
And the little subtitle for this little layer is to avoid being hypercritical of everyone and everything. So if you were with us last week, we talked about negativity. And this flows right along with that same conversation. When we're negative about others, we're hypercritical of others and everything. And so I guess just overall life lesson for me is try to avoid being hypercritical about everything. And this brings me back to our scripture reading from this morning that Jimmy read for us. And I want to read again, Matthew 7, verse 1 through 5. This is the third week in a row we've read something from the Sermon on the Mount, so I'm just keeping that going. Verse 1, do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Uh, Whether or not you realize it, Jesus is using a little bit of humor here. Jesus had a sense of humor. And I think his overall point is, for his listeners, for us, for, especially for the religious leaders, is to look at your judgments that you're making of people and how hypocritical they can be. For most of us, we've gotten used to the log in our own eye or the plank in our own eye, and it's a lot easier for us, or a lot more enjoyable at least, to try to get the speck out of someone else's eye. But Jesus is saying that's ridiculous to live life like that. So... First, get the log out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to criticize and to judge others. So you got to deal with yourself first, with your discern your own critical voice, right? To avoid being hypercritical of everyone and everything. For many years, I worked in Mount Pleasant, Texas, and while I was there, I was a part of a, a mentor group for the football team. So I tried to support the football players uh, every Friday night, even if they were out of town. If it was close enough, we would drive to the game. And one year, many years ago, they were, Mount Pleasant was playing Texas High and Texarkana. So we went to the game because it wasn't too long of a drive. And if you've ever been to this stadium, I, I, I really like the stadium. The, there's no track separating the stands from the field, so you're even closer to the action. So I traveled to the game with some people from church. And because it was, it was a away game, we sat in a different spot. You know, so we're surrounded by different Mount Pleasantians, whatever we would call them, uh, people that I didn't really know. And this was an interesting season because the guy who was playing quarterback was really athletic, and for the first time since I had been there, Mount Pleasant was experiencing a little bit of success. And this guy was, was pretty good. And I remember watching the game, and I was sitting by a bunch of men Some were in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, all ages. And it was funny sitting there with them because everything the quarterback did, they criticized him. What are you doing? What are you thinking? He was wide open. How'd you miss him? That was a terrible throw and just on and on. And I'm looking at this guy who's a pretty good quarterback, and I'm looking at these guys in the stands, and it's hard for me not to criticize them a little bit and think, you look like you couldn't get out there and run 20 yards, and yet you think you know what this 18-year-old kid should be doing on the field. It's like they didn't take into account that they have a different vantage point. 
And it's a lot different when you're live action on the field. This is what we would call an armchair quarterback. Have you ever heard of this phrase? Yeah, you probably used it before. An armchair quarterback is basically just somebody, whether you're in the stands or you're sitting at home in your armchair, you're watching a game, and based on your own judgments and your own criticisms, you think that you know what's best, and that quarterback or that player or whatever it may be should have done this or that or that was dumb. Why did they do that? Right? But we're sitting in, a, in the stands or we're sitting in an armchair, so it's a lot easier when we're doing that to know what's right. Right? And, and being an armchair quarterback doesn't just apply to sports. I think it applies to life. And I think we should avoid being armchair quarterbacks of life because it's one thing to sit away and not be in the action and criticize. It's another thing to place yourself in someone else's shoes. During Jesus' life and his ministry, you probably can't see this picture too well, but that's okay, uh, there was a group of people that were very hypercritical uh, of everyone and everything, and they were the armchair quarterbacks of their day, and they were known as the Pharisees. If you read through the Gospels, Jesus had a lot of antagonists, teachers of the law, the scribes, but you can't read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John without noticing the Pharisees and how Jesus had some problems with them, and they had some problems with Jesus. And one of the problems Jesus had with the Pharisees was that they were hypercritical of everybody. And they placed a heavy load on the common people that they weren't even willing to carry themselves. So one of the things I learned about the Pharisees is, I don't want to be like a Pharisee, because Jesus reserved some of his harshest criticisms for the Pharisees. I don't want to be like them. I want to be somebody who has received grace and is willing to give it to others. I don't want to live like an armchair quarterback. I don't want to be hypercritical of everyone and everything. That gets exhausting, and it's not helpful. I want to remember the log in my own eye. So discern your own critical voice. That's something that I'm learning as life goes on. And what goes along with that is not just being critical of other people, but it might be that voice in your own head that's critical of yourself. I've said this before, and I'm sure some of you have as well. I'm my own worst critic. Has anybody ever said that? Does anybody feel that way about themselves? It's easy sometimes to beat ourselves up and to be our own worst critic. Sometimes we don't need criticism from others because we've already been too hard on ourselves. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I know we have a, a variety of personalities in the room right now, but I know some of you have that voice constantly going in your head. And if we're not careful, that self-critical voice can be very detrimental to your spiritual health. It can really weigh you down. And you don't want to get to a place where there's a lot of self-loathing and self-hatred going on. So you might need to be reminded, hey, we're all sinners, saved by grace, on this road of transformation. Give yourself a little bit of grace here, like we should give to others. Remember that you are loved by God, and be able to discern the lies that come from Satan. So that's that first layer of offering, receiving criticism, is discerning your own critical voice, and, and maybe why you're so critical of yourself and why are you so critical of others? And how can you mature and grow out of that? The, the second layer that I'm learning is just to be a discerning student of criticism. If you just observe, listen to people's conversations, 
If you just watch TV or a movie or whatever, you can notice how people can pick each other apart and be very critical of each other. We can be students of that. We can learn from criticism. Uh, I've recently been reading or listening to this book called Unoffendable, uh, which I love the title and the concept of the book. It was written by a guy named Brant Hansen. And the concept of the book is that he says that we are not entitled to our anger. But as Christians, we should be unoffendable. That we, somebody recommended this book to me uh, at a little kid's birthday party because I was going on a rant about someone that I didn't, that I was frustrated with, another preacher that was a popular voice, and I just started going off on it. And he said, hey, I have a book recommendation for you. It's called Unoffendable. And I was like, okay, I see what you're doing there. I think he was saying, calm down at a little kid's birthday party. So I went and bought the book, and I've been reading through it. Brant Hansen is a... Uh, he's a radio host for a Christian radio show, and apparently it's a pretty popular show. They have millions of listeners each week, and in this book, he shares some of the criticisms that he receives. And he said, for example, one day he said, the high today, when he's offering the forecast, the high today is going to be 82 degrees, but the average around this time of year is 72 degrees, so it's going to be a little bit warmer than usual. And then the phone rings at the station. And the caller said, I'm really disappointed in you. And he said, how come? And he said, because God ordains the weather. So it's not going to be warmer or colder than it needs to be. It is what God wants it to be. You're showing a lack of faith. And he's like, I'm just reading the forecast and offering an opinion. Uh, several years ago when the whole Tim Tebow thing was popular and Tim Tebow was playing college football and putting scriptures under his little eye paint that he had and it was on national TV uh, somebody called in and, and again said, I'm really disappointed in you. He said, how come? And he said, I listen to your show every morning from 7 to 8 a.m. and when I'm on my way to work. And you have not said one word about the Tim Tebow situation. And he said, actually, I did yesterday at about 9 a.m. And he said, well, I listen from 7 to 8. So you didn't talk about it during the time I was listening to it. So he's criticized about how he reads the forecast. He's criticized about when and what time he uh, reads different news reports. And one of my favorite criticisms that he shared in his book was that somebody emailed him and said, every time you open your mouth into a microphone, the devil smiles. Like, that's just overall. You didn't think that was very funny. I, I kind of thought it was funny because that's how harsh people can be towards him. Okay, it's not funny. I take it back. You're still just looking at me like, man, you're weird for thinking that's funny. <laughs> But he just goes on and on about the different types of things that he hears, the different criticisms. And basically the same point is what Aristotle says, you know, if you want to avoid criticism, do nothing, be nothing, say nothing. Otherwise, you're going to be criticized. So we need to learn to be discerning students of criticism. And that's something that I'm learning from Brant Hansen and from others and from life. Discern who's offering the criticism, where they're offering it from, and why they're offering it. If somebody has an opinion, if somebody has something hard to say to you, why are they saying it? It could be there is always a chance that with a little bit of discernment, somebody could say something to you that's ugly or that's hurtful, but it has a lot more to do with them than it does you. Have you ever experienced that? And maybe you've been that person. Sometimes we project our own insecurities onto other people. So when receiving hard things and receiving criticisms, we discern who's offering it, where, why, what's going on in their life, and maybe we can offer them a little bit of grace. We discern whether or not it comes from God. 
In se- starting September 15th, we're going to start studying through the book of Acts. And early on in the book of Acts, Peter, John, and the other apostles are being persecuted because they're preaching in the name of Jesus. And they're told to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. They receive some pretty hard criticism. And very famously, in Acts chapter 5 and verse 29, Peter and the other apostles said, we must obey God rather than human beings. We must obey God rather than man. So Peter and the other apostles, through a lot of prayer, through a lot of time in God's Word, through a lot of discernment spiritually, through the Holy Spirit, they came to realize that what the religious leaders were telling them to do was not coming from God. So being a discerning student of criticism, we prayerfully and spend time in the Word, we consider whether or not something comes from God or not. But more importantly, as we're, well, maybe not more importantly, but as we learn to be students of criticism, uh, we need to also not be so prideful that we can't hear what somebody has to say and learn from it. We do ourselves a disservice if we just arbitrarily decide who we're going to listen to and who we're not going to listen to. So as maturing followers of Jesus... We can learn from others, and we may have to ask questions sometimes. What may God be trying to tell me through this person? Recently, um, my kids, especially my son, on multiple occasions, has said to me, Dad, why is your belly so big? (laughs) And I don't think he's trying to offer a criticism But instead of getting defensive and telling him, hey, you don't talk to me like that, I take that in and I think, what do I need to learn from that? Well, maybe I need to grow from what he's saying, or or maybe I actually need to shrink from what he's saying and and try to change a few things. You know, whether it's from little kids who have pure little hearts who are just going to say what's on their mind, or it comes from adults who who are well-intentional and well-thought-out what they're trying to say to you, we can always learn and grow and, and hear what other people are saying. There's wisdom in that. In Proverbs 12, 1, from the NIV, it says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. Whoever hates correction is stupid. And I don't recommend calling somebody stupid, but you get the point behind the wisdom literature here. If you hate being corrected, if you hate ever being wrong, or if you're above being corrected, then there's no wisdom in that. And then later in that same chapter, in Proverbs 12, 15, it says, The way of fools seem right to them, but the wise listen to advice. So as we mature on the road of following Jesus, one of the things that I'm learning is for my own critical voice to avoid being hypercritical of everyone and everything, don't want to look like a Pharisee, want to remember the log in my own eye, but also want to be a discerning student of criticism. And not to be too prideful that I can't learn and grow from what others have to say. And the third layer of what I'm learning is that as we mature, as we grow, there's got to be a place at some point where we can offer constructive criticism to others out of love. Now, we need to be careful with this. We don't want to be like the Pharisees and just be willing to criticize everyone and everything and think we have to go tell them that. 
Uh, most criticism is subjective, and, and a lot of the things that we think are really come down to our personal preferences, so we need to be careful not mixing our personal preferences with what's right and what's wrong, but there will be a time and a place as you disciple others, which we hope that you're doing with the, who's your one and being a part of this church and trying to disciple others, as you parent your children, as you live as a family or as friends, there will be times when you're probably going to have to have some hard conversations. So how can we do that and do it out of love? Well, the example that, that really has been on my mind is this example of David and Nathan. And to give you a little background, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, David does not go off to war with the rest of his men. He stays back, and when he stays back, he sees Bathsheba and abuses his power, calls her into his palace, has an affair with her, and then eventually has her husband Uriah killed. And then Bathsheba comes to live with him. There's 2 Samuel 11 in summary. And if you're unfamiliar with the story, it's as bad as it sounds. David makes some pretty awful mistakes here. Some big sin. Okay? The next chapter, at the end of chapter 11, we're told the thing that David did had displeased the Lord. Well, obviously it had. And in verse 1 it says, And the Lord sent Nathan to David... And he came to him and said, I like that, God sent Nathan. I don't know if it's because of his power, his position, his apathy or what, but somehow, someway, David maybe was not recognizing how what he had done was just terribly wrong. So God sent a little messenger to him. God sent a guy named Nathan to talk to him. And look at what Nathan does when he comes to David. Nathan doesn't just go straight to David and say, David... I'm really disappointed in you. You're a horrible person. None of us are going to talk to you anymore. We're giving you the silent treatment. I, I can't stand you. You know, he doesn't say any of that stuff. Instead, Nathan teaches him a parable, just like Jesus often taught parables. There's two men. One was really wealthy and had all sorts of herds and flocks. And there was a, another man who was really poor, and all he had was this one lamb. But this lamb was everything to him. It was like a daughter to him. They ate together. They slept in the same house. You know, that lamb was everything. And then he said, the rich man had a traveler come into town. And the rich man didn't want to use anything from his own herds or flocks. So the rich man went and stole from the poor man that one little lamb the poor man had and used it to celebrate, have a feast for his fellow traveler. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 5, then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. David hears this and he's like, mm, that's wrong. He said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. So look at how David responds to it. If Nathan would have had to just walked in and said, David, what you did was wrong. Everybody's disappointed in you. David would have been defensive, and he probably wouldn't have heard him out. Instead, Nathan is very creative and very thoughtful, tells this parable, gets David all riled up against the rich man, and then in verse 7, these words that I've always loved, Nathan said to David, you are the man. He tells David, you're the man. You're the rich man in the story. And then he passes on to him what the Lord had told him to say. And finally, David sees the error of his ways. David sees what he had done. And apparently up until this point, David wasn't able 
to fully see it. So Nathan, just like we all should, used a little bit of discernment in how he offered the criticism, but it was necessary. And this is a hard thing to do, but there's a time and a place out of love where it maybe is necessary to have a loving confrontation with somebody. If you see somebody headed down a bad path or headed down a road that is not glorifying Christ as good friends, as disciple makers, as parents, there's times where we may have to have hard conversations and maybe we can learn something from Nathan and how he approached the situation. It may not mean that you have to tell a parable every time you want to have a conflict, although that may help lighten the mood a little bit, but we can be thoughtful in how we offer some criticism. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. So Paul notices, and I wonder if Paul had in mind Nathan here when he writes these words in Galatians 6.1. If you see somebody caught in a sin, you don't just say, well, that person's headed down a bad path especially if it's somebody close to you, a brother or sister in Christ, restore that person, but do it gently like a shepherd. And then also guard yourself so that in the process, you don't wind up being tempted. And he goes on to talk about not being filled with pride. And then if you look at the book of James, the way that James ends his letter is kind of odd, but in James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, he writes, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. If someone should wander from the truth, somebody bring them back. If somebody's caught in a sin, restore them gently. There's a time and a place uh, that we might need to offer criticism, and we need to do that constructively and thought out and prayerfully and do it out of love. Criticism is just a part of life. People's opinions, you, you hear it through conversations, you hear it when you're with your family, you might hear it at church, you hear it at school, you hear it at work, you hear complaining, you hear criticisms, you hear opinions. And as followers of Jesus, as we grow, as we mature, we should get to this place where we don't just have a gut reaction every time somebody says something. But we can be discerning students and ourselves avoid being hypercritical and, and be humble enough to receive criticism and be wise enough no, to know when we might need to step in and intervene and have a hard conversation. And the master at doing this was Jesus. If you just read through the Gospels, you'll see how Jesus was constantly criticized and how he handled it. And how Jesus was willing to have hard conversations with the religious leaders, with his disciples, and how he still did it out of love, even if he had to say some hard things. Some of you, maybe you listen to that Galatians 6, 1 passage, and you hear this sinner who needs to be restored, who caught in a sin and needs to be restored gently. May, that may be you today, and, and maybe you need to find one of our shepherds, because this is what shepherds do. They restore people gently. We have elders at this church, and one of them will be up front with me, but the rest of them will be around the room, some in the back. If you need to have a conversation 
if you need to be prayed for, maybe it's time to confess a sin, get something off your, off your chest. Uh, over the next few minutes, we designed this time for you to respond. And if you need to do it privately, go find one of our shepherds and step aside privately. That would be fine. If you want to know more about who Jesus is, this is an opportunity for you to come find one of us and have a conversation. We want to invite you to stand and we're going to continue to sing.